This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. second conversation is with Virginia Anderson who is uh, head of fundraising uh, at Bobath Scotland which is as you'll hear a, a fundraising charity uh, that works on cerebral palsy based up in Glasgow and she's also the chair of the Institute of Fundraising Scotland group uh, so here's Virginia. Okay great so I'm here with Virginia Anderson from Bobath Scotland. Hi Virginia. Good morning. Um, thanks very much for finding some time uh, to to have a chat. I know it's incredibly busy for for a lot of people at the moment, so I really appreciate it. Um, I guess the best place to start is if you could just sort of say a bit about um, what you do at Bobath and also kind of how the COVID-19 pandemic has been affecting your organisation and other organisations that you work with so far. So Bobath Scotland, we're a a kind of medium-sized charity based in Glasgow. Um, We work with people with cerebral palsy and we've provide really hands-on support. So that kind of overnight had to disappear um, because obviously we can't work one-to-one with people in an environment of uh, uh, the world of social distancing. Um, What has changed rapidly, though, is taking our staff out of the centre and to working from home. Um, But there's been a huge demand for information and support. So we are supporting people on the phone and online um, providing kind of reassurance, providing information, things like, you know, if you can't wash your own hands, how do you wash your hands? Which is what we're all being directed to do. Um, we've seen a huge upturn in the number of people kind of accessing our website. So there's been about 4,000 people in the last week alone who um, have come looking for condition-specific information. And that's that. I mean, there's a huge upturn for us. So we have been really busy, um, despite the fact that the, our centre is closed. Yeah, absolutely. And and is it affected? So has it affected your fundraising ability as well? I mean, what's your kind of normal income look like? And has, has that been knocked by by what's happening? It's been hugely disrupted. Um, we most of our income, eighty five percent of our income, comes through voluntary sources. Um, So we had to cancel one of two major events of the year. Um, All of our community fundraising is just immediately out of the window. So people taking part in events like the London Marathon and the Kilt Walk, that's all gone. Um, And we've also seen some of our funders being hugely supportive and responsive, but others um, delaying decisions. So we have a rolling programme of grant applications that just um, have been shut down. Um, alongside other funders actually opening the doors wider and saying what can we do to help so we're still navigating that we don't have a big individual giving program so that's something we're having to kind of learn on our feet about how we handle that um, our major donors have been hugely supportive as well but um, that's a, we're going to have to keep in touch with them about what the future means and what the next six months look like as we perhaps need permission to spend money differently than we would usually do Absolutely. And, and as you know, as a fundraiser, how are you finding the, the sort of enforced transition to working remotely and, and digitally? Um, I mean, both in terms of kind of within a team, but also in terms of I assume a lot of your work, as you say, would involve events or kind of working with people face to face. So how are you adapting? 
Well, there's there's a really clear split in the team, actually, because we have um, a team largely made up of part-time staff, two of whom routinely work from home for part of the week anyway. So they're kind of just carrying on as usual. The challenge for them, though, is having small children at home um, and having to kind of cope with juggling what they normally do and having, having small boys running around the place kind of demanding um, their day is spent differently. But they are already used to being flexible. And um, what's a challenge for us is um, is for those of us who work in a more face-to-face capacity with donors and supporters and who are used to being office-based. So information you think you know and take for granted, suddenly you can't access. Um, I, I'm living out of a Star Wars bag for life. Uh, that's my new office. Um, and I brought all the files on my desk and and kind of key documents. So things like our constitution, our accounts, our annual report. So at least we have all of those things that, you know, that are there as just a kind of point of reference. How that plays out in terms of reporting will be a big challenge because we're coming to the end of a quarter, we're coming to the end of a financial year. It's typically a time where there's a lot of funders who are expecting quarterly reports that we can't necessarily um, access the same information as we normally do. And that's going to put a delay on things. And I hope then doesn't delay um, kind of grants for, for the year ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, what do you do you currently sort of think are going to be the biggest challenges for you or, you know, or indeed kind of for other fundraisers? I know you're involved uh, as chair of the IOF, IOF Scotland um, up there. So what do you think those challenges over the coming months, if this situation continues, you know, any, anything like its current form are going to be? I think there's there's two sides to that. One is about staffing and about confidence. We all know that how important it is to have a degree of kind of psychological safety to be successful at work, to feel that we are confident, to feel we're supported, to feel like we're part of a team. And um, keeping that going is going to be, you know, we're, we're going to have to do that very differently than the way we're used to. For those people who work with regional fundraisers, so community fundraisers who are home-based for the bigger national charities are really used to working in this way. And I think kind of as a sector, we should be looking to them to kind of learn the lessons of what works rather than reinventing the wheel. Um, for us as a charity, it's, it's very much about thinking kind of short, medium and long term. What can we do today to make the second half of the year better, for example? And how do we cope in the interim? What can we prepare what can we do ahead of time where we're not out at schools or standing at the finish line of a race or in a, a kind of a, a pitch to a kind of partner organisation? Um, a huge change also in how we relate to other workplaces as corporates have closed their doors. Most of our partners, as we're a medium-sized organisation, most of our partners are small to medium-sized businesses. They're not going to be wearing Christmas jumpers and baking cakes. Um, so we have a job to do in thinking about how we work with them, the, the kind of the contact that we have with them to be supportive rather than to expect uh, blood from a stone at this point of t- in time. So um, it's a challenge to us all um, about how we, we kind of conduct a day to day business. I think the other really interesting thing that's emerging at the moment. Oh, sorry. That's all right. That's that's a small dachshund who thinks he's a Doberman. I'm just go. It's not ideal. Just bear with me. Yeah, no problem. No problem. 
okay, the small, the small uh, Dachshund is, who thinks he's a Doberman is now contained. <laughs> Excellent. I think one really interesting thing for me in all of this is that there's a real focus often from funders about paying project costs. And actually what's become really clear in the last 10 days is how important the, the, the admin is, the overhead is. You know, it's the people, our receptionist, our centre manager at work, for example, she's at home with her kids, but she's still answering the phone. She's the person who is the conduit for everything that's coming into the organisation at the moment. Most grant applications would consider her an unnecessary overhead. But actually, she's more critical to us today than she, you know, than quite often is because she is that single point of contact for just now. And so I think there's a challenge there to donors and to funders to say, actually recognise the importance of fundraisers who are keeping the pot boiling, who are responding to all the social media, who are responding to um, the phone calls, the, the concerns, who are managing the messaging that is kind of coming out of an organisation and how we continue to support our beneficiaries, even if we can't see them in person. Um, and understanding the importance of all of those administrative staff in keeping things going and keeping business as usual as it possibly can be. And they're the ones who in our sector are often very overlooked. And we've seen the same in the wider world with supermarket staff, for example, cleaners, bin men, all these people that do their jobs invisibly right now are, are some of the most important people in our world. So that would be my challenge to those who support us is to see the importance of what we often write off as overhead. Absolutely. And I, th I think that that shift among a lot of funders um, towards being much more open to the idea of just kind of giving unrestricted funding is really interesting. It'll be fascinating to see whether that's one of the things that becomes a sort of longer term change or whether there's a sort of reversion to, to type app after all of this has calmed down. But I'm, I'm optimistic on, on that one. Um, in addition to the the things funders can be doing to help in the short term, are there are there any things in your mind that um, you know central or local government could be doing, or kind of other charities to to help the sector as a whole kind of get through this this short term challenge? I think I mean I, I, I kind of we're in quite a different position in Scotland, I think, in relation to government um, than uh, charities who operate in the rest of the UK because we have a much more um, kind of responsive relationship with the Scottish government potentially and, and, and with the civil service here than I see my peers having elsewhere. Um, and they feel much more like partners. Um, you know, they have responded quickly, they're supportive and they're listening and they're asking what we need and not telling us what to do. And that's and that's traditionally kind of how we work with the, the Scottish government. And um, that feels like it's continuing. So um, I'm hopeful, and they've moved really quickly with the resilience funding here, so I'm hopeful that that continues to be a kind of positive and thoughtful kind of working relationship between the sector um, uh, and the government. Um, so I kind of need to just be very grateful for that at the moment. Um, in terms of across the sector, I think what's interesting is the range of um, consultants and kind of umbrella bodies who suddenly their overview has become really, really important. So if we look to, here's a really good example in Scotland is uh, Ross McCulloch at Third Sector Lab, who is, you know, they run a digital business 
Um, they work purely with the kind of um, third sector and have always been really good at supporting the sector, providing good training, providing good information. But actually, they have been a real point of rallying in the last 10 days and, and are acting as a kind of conduit for information in between organisations and providing a huge amount of leadership. So there's a point at time where actually people who have an overview, like a particular charitable trust or like a particular um, consultancy who offer support across multiple organisations have suddenly become really important because they can see the common threads coming out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then just just finally, kind of amongst all the, the challenges, you mentioned a few things there that, that are more positive, but what, what have you seen so far that gives you most cause for optimism or hope that the, the sector can kind of weather this storm and, and hopefully come out even stronger on the other side? I think, um, as I don't know if you know Graham Ricky from Wren and Greyhounds, who recently wrote a book called The Lasting Difference. And he talks often and wisely about the notion that um, sustainability is not about staying the same. And I think we are seeing that play out in very immediate terms. And um, what gives me hope for the sector is the fact that um, we are changing and we can change and people are being responsive. Um, they're responding to their beneficiaries' needs, they're responding to their organisations' needs, and they're doing that thoughtfully and quickly. Um, so the fact that organisations are demonstrating that they can adapt and that they can focus on what really matters, that's the thing that's giving me hope right now. Great. Well, that's yeah, encouraging to hear, and it certainly echoes things I've been hearing from some of the other conversations that, that I've had. Um, listen, I won't take up any more of your time this morning, but uh, just, just to say again, thanks ever so much for finding some time to, to come on the podcast. It's great to, to have a chance to, to speak. Um, and certainly, you know, hopefully maybe we could uh, try and find a time to have a sort of broader chat at some point in the future when all of this has uh, calmed down a bit and we don't necessarily have to talk about the COVID <laughs> pandemic. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. It's, 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 it will be interesting to see how our world looks in six months' time, I think. Mm-hmm.